This is Behind the Curtain at LA Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauritsen. On this edition of the podcast, I'm joined by Grant Gershon, who is conducting L.A. Opera's run of Philip Glass's opera about Mahatma Gandhi, Satyagraha. We'll talk about what makes Satyagraha, in Gershon's opinion, one of Philip Glass's most personal scores, and the challenges of singing in the ancient language of Sanskrit, and also Gershon's recent meeting with Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg at a performance he conducted this summer. And we begin with Grant Gershon's long history with L.A. Opera. Grant Gershon, man of so many titles over the course of your history with this company. <laughs> That's true. What is it currently again? Okay, so uh, at, as of this moment, I am a resident conductor at L.A. Opera and artistic director of the L.A. Master Chorale. But I think I've had more titles with more companies at the same address, right. 135 North Grand, <laughs> here at the Music Center, than anybody else I know. That's true, because the Master Chorale is just upstairs, right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. We're, we're here at the Dorothy Chandler yeah. right now, and so the Master Chorale's on the fifth floor, the opera is on the, the second, third, and fourth <laughs> floor. Yeah, it's like that. When did you first become associated in any capacity with the company? It was basically at the beginning of the company, right? It was pretty close to the beginning. L.A. Opera was um, had its opening in the fall of 1986. And then so in the third season, coming into 1988, I got a call from Peter Hemmings. Um, I was a freelance pianist. I had just graduated from USC at the time, and I was playing a lot for uh, for singers. I was playing, you know, the Met competitions and and uh, uh, most of the other kind of uh, vocal competitions around town. But anyways, they Peter Hemmings called me you know, fairly much out of the blue and asked me if I would come on the music staff for that fall for uh, production of Così Fantute. Mm-hmm. And of course, I said yes because I mean, this is a great opportunity and I had never worked in an opera house before. And so it was interesting because, you know, looking at what LA Opera was then, LA Music Center Opera technically was the name of it, compared to what it is now, it was such a bare bones organization. So basically there was a music staff of three people. There was Randall Bear, who was the resident conductor there was a pianist whose name I don't remember now who was coming over from London, was based in London, and was coming over and was basically their principal pianist and um, repetiteur, rehearsal pianist and coach. Um, And then they brought me on as the third member of music staff, really just for when they were doing more than one production Mm -hmm. at at a time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I played Cosi Fantute, and it was amazing. It was a brilliant cast. First off, it was uh, Maria Ewing and Carol Van Ness, um, Sesto Buscantini. It was the Peter Hall production. So it was Cosi Uncut, like every every note of recitative. <laughs> um, and because the music staff was so small, not only was I the rehearsal pianist, but I was also was playing the harpsichord uh, for you know all the miles and miles of recitative. And it was just this great, like total, total immersion experience. So shortly after that production wrapped, I got another call um, because I was basically done for the season. It was going to be just that one opera. Um, and uh, the the gentleman who had been coming over from London had notified them that he was tired of coming over from London and didn't twelve hour flights. Yeah, wasn't enjoying that, and so um, <laughs> so he bailed out. 
And so they asked me if I would um, come on board for the rest of the season. Uh, so instead of a music staff of three, there would be a music staff of two. I was basically the only pianist on staff then for the rest of the season. And, and oh, by the way, the next production coming up starts rehearsals in 15 days, and it's Wozzeck by Alban Berg with Simon Rattle conducting. No big deal. No big deal. And the Ellie Phil was in the, the pit? in the pit. Wow! Yeah, amazing. It was completely amazing, and uh, uh, and so I've never worked so hard in my life <laughs> to learn a score uh, in a short amount of time as as that. I mean, because Vatsek is really it's it's you know it's one of the most complicated operas in the repertoire, uh, and it's it's nigh on impossible to play on the piano. Um, but nonetheless, that's the gig, is you have to play it on the piano and be helpful in rehearsal. Anyways, long story short, it was great. It was a great experience. And and, um, and I got to be, you know, good friends with uh, with Sir Simon, as he's known now. <laughs> um, and uh, and that in itself led to all sorts of other opportunities. But uh, and so um, so I was here at L.A. Opera then from 1988 uh, until 1984, uh, until 1994. Uh, so six seasons, um, starting out as uh, the title was repetiteur, and then it became, I think, principal repetiteur because he had somebody else on the staff after a while, uh, and um, and then uh, and then eventually the title became assistant conductor, which was interesting because I really hadn't ever waved my arms, <laughs> in and had no ambition uh, towards that at the time. But working in an opera house, one of the things that you're called upon as music staff is to conduct rehearsals, to conduct anything that happens off stage. You know, if there if there's chorus off stage or if there's what we call banda off stage, if there's an instrumental ensemble, then music staff is is in charge of that. And uh, and so, you know, I, I started doing that kind of thing and, and found that I actually was kind of enjoying it. And so then I did, this is going on too long. But um, <laughs> in 1992, the Ellie Phil went to Salzburg for the summer. Uh, this was when Esapeka Salonen was coming in as music director. He's going to be starting in the, the following fall. And that was Messian Assisi time? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. This was Messian's epic, epic opera, Saint-François d'Assis, St. Francis of Assisi. And so uh, I was the main rehearsal pianist for that for 10 weeks in Salzburg, working closely with Esapeka. Mm-hmm. And uh, and at the end of that summer, Esapeka took me aside. At, it was at the cast party after opening night. And we were all getting a little, you know, having a having a few glasses. And uh, Esapeka took me aside. And then Ernest Fleischman, the executive director of the Elite Philharmonic, legendary, of course, uh, also took me aside. And they both said, you know, Grant, I think, you know, I think, you should be conducting. I think, you know, you're kind of like, you know, kind of wasting your talents a bit in, at the piano. And I remember Esapeka specifically saying that he thought that I had the personality to be a conductor. And I, I wasn't sure if that was an insult or a compliment. <laughs> uh, but anyways, that's uh, because of Esapeka then. Uh, I left L.A. Opera in 1994, went over across the street. Uh, well, actually, it wasn't across the street at the time. It was still here at the Same building, Chandler, yeah. Uh, and became the the, uh, the conducting assistant at the L.A. Phil, which then morphed into assistant conductor. Uh, and so I was in that position for three years, mm-hmm. uh, then moved to New York, uh, came back here in 2001 to take the position as music director of the Ellie Master Chorale, uh, which was just an uh, incredible opportunity for me. And then in uh, 2007, uh, James Conlon invited me to come back 
to LA Opera, um, if we could figure out how to make it work, that I could, you know, still be, of course, music director at the Master Chorale and have a dual position at the opera. And and extraordinarily, it really has, it, it's worked out really well. Um, sometimes I, I feel a little schizophrenic um, and there's, there's times when both are in production <laughs> and it gets a little crazy, but I have a very comfortable couch in my office that I can <laughs> take disco naps on, you know, when we've, when we've got rehearsals going, you know, morning, noon, and night. And, uh, and it's been so satisfying artistically. And to see both companies in such a period of, of artistic growth has been fantastically gratifying. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I have a morbid curiosity to see your calendar. But then again, I'm like, how do you how do you manage? Well, you know, my calendar I keep it on you know on my computer, of course, <laughs> and uh, and it looks kind of like a Mondrian <laughs> painting when you have like all these different colors for the different <laughs> ki- different productions and and different organizations, uh, and when they start to overlap and and you know the green and the red become like this weird brown schmear, um, and then you add some purple in there for a philharmonic thing or something, you know, outside. It, yeah, it gets it gets very artistic visually. Yeah. Wait, now this is important for the podcast because I think people probably want to know what color goes with which company. Do you? Yes. So, um, and there's there's really no, I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to this unless it's something subliminal, but it's green for LA Master Chorale. It's orange for uh, for LA Opera. It's uh, it's purple for outside engagements and, and it's blue for family, blue skies. Lovely, lovely. <laughs> Well, that's all the time we have now. Right. It's been great. Investigative reporting here on this podcast. Well, Purple, speaking of outside engagements, this past summer you conducted at Wolf Trap, which you've done a number of times, uh, conducting opera at Wolf Trap, which must be fun. And there was a certain encounter there with a certain opera fan who happens to be one of nine, well, right now eight uh, justices of the Supreme Court. Yeah, this was absolutely mind-blowing to me to have the opportunity to meet and talk about Rigoletto with none other than the notorious RBG, uh, (laughs) Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, This was uh, about a week and a half ago for uh, the opening of Rigoletto, and there was a little event beforehand for... um, for patrons and donors, it was a sit-down dinner, and I was giving a, a a little talk, and I came with Crystal Manich, who's the who was the um, the director of this production of Rigoletto, and the first person that we were introduced to as we entered the this little tent pavilion was Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, who proceeded to grill us. Uh, about Rigoletto and uh, and specifically talking to to Crystal about about how she handles a misogyny that's inherent in the story mm. and um, and so that was really interesting and, and luckily Crystal is brilliant and very thoughtful as well and uh, and so we had you know about a ten minute conversation um, just standing there with uh, with Ruth Bader Ginsburg about the character motivations in Rigoletto and specifically, you know, why does Gilda basically sacrifice herself to save this complete scum guy, the Duke of Mantua? And, and anyways, so it was absolutely, you know, it was just one of those, I've, I've, I've never been more starstruck <laughs> in my life than um, than during those those ten minutes, and it's so great that uh, that she's such a supporter, such a passionate 
supporter of of opera and of the arts. I, on my Facebook feed, um, in the last couple of days, there was footage of her. She was at uh, Santa Fe Opera this week, and there's footage of her entering the, coming into the audience before the show started and getting this enormous standing ovation from everybody in the crowd people bowing down and, um you know obviously she's such a um she's such a hugely respected and important figure um so yeah that was fun uh to and, put it mildly scary. yeah i bet i bet and you know the power of opera to bring people together i guess she was like best opera buds with uh, the her conservative counterpart the late scalia. Yeah. scalia yeah yeah which is absolutely fascinating um, and it's and as you say, it's a testament to the ability of music to to bring people together mm-hmm. in a really powerful way. So um, let's talk about Satyagraha, uh, which you're conducting uh, late October through early November here at LA Opera. Um, first of all, I guess, how's your Sanskrit? My scan- Sanskrit is uh, <laughs> pretty remedial, <laughs> although I have to say I you know I am taking a deep dive into the Bhagavad Gita this summer, um, which is, of course, just so beautiful and so fascinating and, and inspiring. Because just to back up, Satyagraha, this opera by Philip Glass, it is about the the early years in the career of Mahatma Gandhi, uh, when he was uh, basically became a civil rights lawyer in South Africa in the the late 19th century and the and the first decade of the 20th century and um, and so satyagraha is a sanskrit word which basically means power in truth satya is truth and and agraha is power and that's the extent of my sanskrit okay <laughs> right Excellent. there uh, but uh, but interestingly the the entire text uh, this opera is taken from the Bhagavad Gita and sung in Sanskrit, and so we're singing these words that have that were written, you know, um, uh, possibly as long ago as five thousand years. Um, so, you know, one of the most ancient and revered texts in all of civilization that uh, that Philip Glass has. Uh, has set to music, and that to me is a heavy responsibility. But the piece itself is—it's I mean, one of Philip Glass's absolute, undisputed masterpieces, and um, and it's it's a beautiful lyrical and and intimate piece too. In some ways, compared to if people remember or, or had a chance to hear Akhenaten a couple of years ago, Satyagraha was written shortly before Akhenaten. So it's from the same period. It was written right around 1979, 1980. But it has a, um, a much more kind of personal feel. And I think part, part of that is the instrumentation, mm. which is strings and woodwinds. And in this piece, there's no percussion. Uh, there's, no, uh, there's no brass. And there's the only electronics is um, is an organ, and so uh, it has a much more kind of human mm-hmm. human scale to it, and uh, and because the the voices are not having to compete against you know brass and percussion, again it has a very lyrical and and I think beautifully personal quality to it, which of course and the and the humility that's implied in that is very much a part of what was Mahatma Gandhi's life and and his message. Mm-hmm. This opera is often mentioned in the same breath as Akhenaten, as you just did, and Einstein on the Beach, yeah. all written right around the same time. Yeah. Um, 
sort of as a trilogy or specifically as a trilogy? Were they were they meant to be thought of as sort of a set? I think that it, my from what I've read about Phil Glass's thinking about this was that it was when he Einstein on the beach was the first of these three and um, and when he wrote that he wasn't at that point thinking about creating this this trilogy but uh, as he was writing Satyagraha and focusing then on at that point on two individuals who had an enormous impact on basically on human development and human understanding that then he he realized that that to create this trilogy to to add Akhenaten onto that would be uh, would be again really powerful and and illustrating kind of three different aspects of human development and mm-hmm. human thought through these operas mm-hmm. So science with Einstein and sort of, I guess, politics, activism with Gandhi. Yeah, and yeah. Religion and, and with Yeah, Akhenaten. religion, monotheism yeah. with Akhenaten. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, you've conducted Philip Glass's music a lot, uh, recorded it with the Master Chorale, yeah, yeah. Um, probably played a bunch on the piano as well. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's true. What's, what's it like to perform this music that is repetitive and hypnotic? You know, it's really unlike anything else, I think, in the Western canon. And because Philip Glass was so influenced by non-Western traditions, and and specifically in these pieces from the the 70s and 80s, from the the raga traditions of of India, and so the music itself, as a performer, it really does it, it puts you into this like completely altered state i can only imagine you know if you if you hooked up an ekg to a a musician playing philip class's music that uh, that uh things would relax somehow it does it does you know people talk about it putting you into into you know almost like a mesmerized or hypnotic state and i think there's i think there is a lot of truth to that and in that state you're you're somehow more open as well to experiencing music in a different way. I was reading an inter- interesting quote from David Lang, another composer that that uh, whose music I, I adore. And David Lang was writing about Philip Glass and specifically about Satyagraha. And he was saying that uh, that most other composers look to take you on a journey. Philip Glass wants you to simply be in a moment in time and to be fully in that moment. Uh, during the piece, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I will say just very briefly that, on the one hand, there is this aspect of being mesmerized or hypnotized as a performer, but there, but you have to reserve a fair amount of your brain because it's actually also really tricky, and the rhythmic structures are surprisingly complex. Again, re- relating back to the raga tradition, so that the you know the the there are crazy meters you know of of 13-8, next to 28, next to 11-8, next to 4-4, next to 6-8. Um, and so it's constantly shifting. But it's interesting because I think as a as an audience member, you're not really aware of that. He doesn't draw attention oftentimes to, to those shifting patterns, but you but you sense that there's a that there's a buoyancy to the music and uh and there's a there's a quality to the music that uh, I, I just think of it as like floating above the ground, like mm. you never touch the earth mm. in this music. Mm. 
That's beautifully said. Even back in my days when I used to play at the cello, um, we had a string quartet and we decided to play a Philip Glass, a very simple Philip Glass string quartet. And uh, we listened to it a bunch and, and we thought, oh yeah, this is, this is nice. This is, you know, this is going to be the moment of calm in a show that had like Shostakovich and I don't even remember what else. Yeah, yeah. And I just remember then we got the score and it's, you see these measures and they have those patterns <laughs> and mm-hmm. then you see like X4 x8 right. and that means you have to count okay we're doing this measure eight times and so is this the sixth or the seventh or the fourth or the fifth time and so like for me i'm just like this takes so much focus and concentration like and like it would fall apart over and over and over again and it's really hard to rehearse it is, for it, that it, yeah absolutely and the other thing i have to to say uh, this being an opera of course the singer is have to perform the music memorized and uh, and with staging as well. And I don't know how the hell they do it, frankly. <laughs> I mean, I just, I have endless yeah. admiration uh, because, you know, not only, you know, memorizing the, the music with the shifting patterns, but also uh, in this particular case, memorizing the Sanskrit. And since uh, presumably... I think it's safe to say none of the singers involved in this are native Sanskrit speakers. There's only a handful of <laughs> them around. Right. Um, you know, you really are having to uh, having to really start from scratch. And so, yeah, there's there's enormous challenges mm-hmm. involved in producing this piece. But the but the rewards are are so great. Um, and I'll say, you know, this particular production of Satyagraha, uh, directed by Felon McDermott and um, and with uh, members of his theater company, the Improbable Company, uh, uh, is so magical and so beautiful. Uh, several friends of mine, uh, when they saw it a few years back at the at the Met, this is a co-production between uh, English National Opera and the Met, and now coming to Los Angeles. Several of my friends had said it was the most beautiful and moving piece that they had ever experienced at, at the Metropolitan Opera, which is really saying a lot. I mean, it's an extraordinarily powerful production. Um, and, and visually, it's, it's, uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. And the, the spirit behind the philosophy of the production itself is that all of the members of the cast are creating community on stage, that they're building structures on stage through the course of the music. And so they're illustrating with the staging the idea of community coming together and creating, again, strength through truth, creating resistance, in a sense, building a society together. And so each of the scenes of the opera has a different element of that and a different, a different metaphor for people coming together and um, and creating something, mm. and it's really it's so beautiful. It's hard to describe. You just have you have to come down yeah. and and see it. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the three the three scenes, the three figures who are not Gandhi, who sort of are these, I guess, patriarchs maybe of the scene, or yeah. just sort of yeah. watchers over the scene. Yeah, that's right. the The opera is in three acts, and the first act is kind of watched over, as you say, by, by Tolstoy, the second act by the poet Tagore, and the third act by Martin Luther King. And, uh, you know, I look at it as, in a sense, for the movement that Gandhi started, 
it's Tolstoy as the as part of the inspiration, and uh, and Tagore was a was a close friend of Gandhi, so contemporary uh, contemporaneous, um, and then Martin Luther King represented the future of the movement. Mm-hmm. And so in each case, those figures are silent in the opera. They don't, they don't sing, but they're present physically and, um, and they're referred to throughout each act. So, the, so the, the opera itself operates on so many different levels because on the one hand, it's illustrating, again, the story of Gandhi himself as he created this movement of peaceful resistance in South Africa. And uh, at the same time, the text is, again, this ancient text, the Bhagavad Gita. And then you have this framing element of Tolstoy and Tagore and Martin Luther King. So, you know, there's so many different levels that the piece operates on. It's really fascinating. There's nothing else like it. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a completely unique experience. Yeah. And it's so interesting, too, because people talk about this opera, and Einstein, too, and, and here's a, an opera that it's not a narrative story. It doesn't, like, there's not, um, you know, the plot chart. It doesn't follow, you know, the initial incident and then conflict and then, you know, climax, denouement. Like, none of that stuff is is here, but it's not necessary. It's not what you're looking for when you encounter the piece, right? Yeah, it's a completely different experience. And, you know, I think it's one of the things that I love about opera in the 21st century is that, that one can have so many different kinds of experience. I, mean, I was thinking about the fact that LA Opera this year is opening with Don Carlo, uh, which is also one of my absolute favorite pieces, one of Verdi's complete masterpieces. And uh, But there, there are a few operas that are more plot-intensive than Don Carlo. <laughs> right. It's a very complex plot, and um, the humanity of it, the politics of it, the alternation between the personal and the societal, all of these things are so strong. And of course, the narrative structure is very, very clear and forward moving. And so to contrast that then with the, with Satyagraha, the next opera that LA Opera produces in the season, which has the personal and it has the political, but the structure of it and the experience of it is so different. And, and to my mind, equally beautiful and equally valid. But you, you can't believe that this is the same art form that can produce both of these masterpieces. Right, right. So the music of Philip Glass um, has super fans, and the music yeah. of Philip Glass has whatever the opposite of super fans <laughs> right. are. Um, and if, if you're neither one of those, then I guess now I'm going to speak to you. If you're somewhere in the middle, personal testimony time. I... Love the music of Philip Glass. Uh, I don't know if I'm a super fan, but I, you know, I'm close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a couple of years ago, when Einstein on the Beach came to town, oh. I thought, you know what, I've never seen this, and I should go. And then they said, yeah, it's five hours, no intermission. There's no plot. There's no story, and it's you know, but it's you know this seminal piece of of uh, opera, music, theater, whatever. So I, 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 they said, come and go as you please but it goes for five hours, no break. And so I thought, you know what? I'm gonna go, you know, I'll give it an hour. And you know, if, I, if I'm out, then I'm, then I'm out, right? Yeah. And 90 minutes passed before I even realized it. And by the time we hit the like two, two and a half hour mark, I look over at my wife and we're both just like absolutely mm-hmm. entranced, but also like a little grumpy because we both had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> right. 
So then we, you know, go <laughs> yeah, out and yeah, do the yeah. thing and, and hurry back into the theater. And then, you know, the rest of the opera goes. And it was just the most amazing experience. And all it required was just a, a, a smidge of openness to the experience. Yeah. So Satyagraha is not five hours, and there are intermissions. So right. the, the two hurdles right away are, <laughs> yeah, it's you already know. already a little more user-friendly. But for someone maybe who has a little trepidation about the experience <clears throat> and is not sure if they want to go in for, you know, three hours of, yeah. of this kind of music, what what's your pitch to them? Well, you know, I think that uh, the, the word Gesamtkunstmusik comes to mind. It's a very complicated German word, <laughs> but it means, you know, it basically means complete art experience and to me that's what is so magical about this production is it's the music that is in combination with this incredibly artistic staging and visual component and spiritual component so that all of the elements are working together in such an organic way that I think you know even if even if you're somebody for whom you know to just sit down and listen to an hour or two of Philip Glass music with the headphones on might be challenging to be able to take in and this complete experience I think is is absolutely magical mm. um, and I have to say that also the the music of Satyagraha I think is is some of Philip Glass's most beautiful and as I was saying before most lyrical and most personal as mm-hmm. well um, and I, the, the other thing I'll just say is that we have like this amazingly brilliant cast um, that will sing this so beautifully and mm-hmm. so compellingly I mean all those factors coming together I think it's I think for just about anybody it's just an experience of a lifetime mm-hmm. excellent we lasted longer than Kim Kardashian and Kanye West did, who were at the performance of Einstein that we were at. They, <laughs> wow, yeah. They, but they made it a couple of hours. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, in, we encourage you to check out um, all of the, the materials that are available here on the website because you can see all of the <laughs> things that we're talking about, um, the incredible visuals of this production. And uh, also, I guess, I mean, I would say, like, read some reviews from... English National Opera production. They just did it a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. yeah, they've they've um, revived it. Uh, they've they've done it three times now at, at ENO and at least twice at the Met. It's been it's proven to be in both cases one of their most popular productions, and it's easy to see why because it, it's so compelling. Excellent. Thank you very much. Hey, Brian. Thanks. <laughs> Grant Gershon is the resident conductor of L.A. Opera. He'll be conducting the company's upcoming run of Philip Glass's opera about Mahatma Gandhi, Satyagraha. Performances take place October 20 through November 11. More information is available at laopera.org. This is Behind the Curtain at L.A. Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauritsen. If you've enjoyed listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. 
Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll see you at the opera.